Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth and I write a personal finance blog here in New Zealand called, unsurprisingly, The Happy Saver. And in this podcast, I sit down and I have a chat with a Kiwi, or in today's case, two Kiwis, about their money. And although I have a long list of questions, we just go where the conversation takes us. And I just chat with people, I learn their story, and I condense it down so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from fellow Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, their tips and point of view on personal finance in Aotearoa. Plus, I could talk for an Olympic sport, so by doing it this way, you do get a greatly edited version of the conversations I've had. And this week, I'm sharing the story of a Central Hawke's Bay couple, Rach and Bex. They made the bold move to leave both of their families behind and move out of Auckland, headed for the Hawke's Bay, so that they could get ahead both financially and for a better work-life balance. With careers in IT and health advisory, Fano and friends warned them of career setbacks, but they have happily proved them wrong. And I heard from them when they wanted to share their absolute joy at the fact they had become mortgage-free at the age of just 35. But before I jump into it, I've just got a few things to share about Pocketsmith, today's sponsor. After many years of running my blog and podcast out of any room in the house that would give me some privacy, I decided the time had come to create a studio in the garden to call my own. Using Pocketsmith, I tracked the entire project by creating a category called Writing Studio, and I set a realistic budget of just $2,200. With such a tight budget, using Pocketsmith helped keep track of the exact cost of the build, tracking both the money spent on new and recycled products, and the money received from selling unwanted goods to fund the project. It gave me peace of mind to head into a project with such a strong financial plan But that doesn't mean I didn't overspend though. In fact, Pocketsmith let me know that I'd overspent by $217. That's not Pocketsmith's fault, entirely my own. And the studio I have now was so worth every extra dollar spent. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. My blog puts me in a really unique and privileged position because I'll often get emails from people who have achieved a major financial milestone that they've set themselves. And because it's apparently and incorrectly, in my view, impolite to shout it from the rooftops that you have paid off your credit card and chopped it up or paid off your car loan or student loan or achieve some other massive money-related thing, they write to me because they know that I'll be delighted for them. This was the case when Rach emailed me to say that they were tantalizingly close to a major milestone that they wanted to share with someone who would understand just how great an achievement it was. They were moments away from becoming mortgage-free at the ripe old age, she said, of just 35. I, of course, found the biggest font and colour I could and sent back a massive congratulations. And I tagged a question at the end. Would they share how they did it on my podcast? Thankfully, they happily agreed because she said that this very podcast was one of the things that helped keep them focused as they changed their behaviours and attitudes towards everything from food budgeting, loaning money and starting to invest. And now that they are debt free and no longer chained to their jobs, they are on a mission to help others do the same. They both grew up just south of Auckland in Papakura. Beck was one of six kids whose parents owned a variety of hospitality businesses and worked about 364 days a year, she said. Beck helped out from the age of five, both unpaid and then paid, 
and when her parents bought a restaurant, she started as a kitchen hand before moving through to basically being the chef. She said that all her siblings helped out, and they each found a role that they enjoyed in the business and settled into it. They never got anything for free and learned from a really young age that if you want something, you have to work for it, a key life lesson that has certainly stuck. The other thing it did was put her off small business ownership for life. Watching your mum working almost every single day will do that for you, I suspect. Her parents separated when she was a teenager, so she watched her mum pretty much work her ass off and raise all six of them by herself. Her mum sounded like a phenomenally hard worker and someone who never gives up. After selling up the restaurant after the kids were leaving or had left home, she went and got herself a science degree and went into another career in the health sector before getting enough money together to retire to a seaside town out of Auckland. And this is where all the family, her siblings are now in their 30s and 40s, uh, and extended family now converge on the weekends. And it sounded to me like her mum liked nothing better than to bake and hang out with her mokapuna. Beck said that she learnt about money by osmosis because when you are involved in the daily running of a business, you see how the money works. She didn't feel rich. It felt like they were surviving. And she realised there was to be no money unless you worked for it. She said that thanks to her mum, she is pretty pragmatic. And that has been a real helpful attribute throughout her life. She did remember that at school they had those ASB bank books that they put $1 in a week. But apart from that, there was nothing specific being taught. She saved up and bought her first car by herself, a Mazda Familiar, for $2,500. And she paid for her own petrol too. She didn't even know there was such a thing as borrowing money. That was just never an option. And she has continued her life with the view that taking on debt and credit cards are a bad thing and not something you ever need. Beck played sport throughout her youth and at the end of year 12, she applied for and won a sports scholarship to AUT, which is Auckland University of Technology. It covered full tuition for three years and she settled on doing a sport and recreation degree. She started uni soon after she turned 17. She lived at home, continued working in the family restaurant even after her mum sold it, and she continued to play her chosen sport, which is football. She basically maxed out all three, study, work and sport, meaning that she took on no student debt at all. When she completed her three-year degree, she decided to head into the public health side and did a health science master's, she said, which took another two years, one year of which was funded by a Prime Minister scholarship and she paid her final year fees and living expenses herself. But that year proved tough as she sustained an injury through her sport, so she actually quit her job to concentrate on rehab, and she recalls writing up her thesis while on crutches, but it proved to be a huge motivator to take her sport to the next level. Now I asked her if this was all just freaking hard work, or was it just the way it was, and she said it was definitely the latter. Now, you might have noticed that most people don't get three-year fully funded scholarships nor scholarships handed out by the Prime Minister, so I had better explain why. Bex played football from the age of five and was clearly pretty good, good enough to play with the football ferns and represent New Zealand at the Beijing Olympics in 2008 and also go to the World Cup. She travelled extensively for her sport and her lecturers at university were flexible about this But it must be said, her work ethic to do it all with scholarships and self-funded must have been phenomenal. Rach chipped in that she would have been travelling the length and breadth of Auckland throughout the week to cover it all. And when we spoke, the Tokyo Olympics were just winding up, so by then I'd heard many interviews with the female athletes, and the training and commitment is incredible. So safe to say, 
a person who barely knows a football from a rugby ball, I was pretty impressed. When uni finished, she said she was working in a green prescription role, which I take to mean dishing out some exercise instead of drugs, and her employer was flexible, which meant that she was able to travel for her sport. While she was not paid to play her sport, the trips away were covered, but she reached a point at the age of 30 where she wanted what she called a real job, which would let her move on with her life. Rachel's first job, on the other hand, was a paper round, a job that a lot of young kids start out with in New Zealand, I think. When she got her first paycheck, her mum told her that she had to now save all of it. Rach, on the other hand, just wanted to spend it all, understanding neither why she should save anything nor the benefits of doing so. Her parents just taught her to save. She always had a savings account. She never quite knew why, though, or what the money was for. And she recalls seeing interest getting paid into her savings account, and she would skim that money off and spend it. So the lesson of saving never quite extended to learning about cumulative interest at that point. Rach was actually born in Australia, but came back to New Zealand when she was just a baby. And her parents still live in the same house that they purchased upon their return 34 years ago. Not a rich family by any stretch, her mum would sew clothes for them, which was pretty normal at that time. While she does not recall them being overly frugal, they were definitely smart with their money, she said. Unlike Beck, who only started to travel once she really got into her football, Rach's family really valued travel and the whole family went away every year. The family home was a small 1970s three-bed place, and as the three kids got older and it became more crowded, her parents said, well, We can either move into a bigger house, which will cost more money, or we can stay just as we are and continue to go on family holidays. They chose the latter. She moved to Hamilton to study at the age of 17, and her parents, who had been saving up for such an event for her and her two siblings, they paid her course fees, but she borrowed the living allowance as a student loan from the government. She remembers signing the student loan forms with no idea of what she was doing really and was quietly amazed that someone somewhere was stumping up the cash for her. She could have stayed living at home and done it debt-free, but she was pretty keen to leave home, and when she hit the age of 18, the bank offered her a credit card, so she immediately took up that offer too. After missing out on a few other courses she applied for, she went and studied information technology, a three-year degree, with no idea where it would take her. At school, she did a business studies course, which is where she learned to create her very first budget, which is what she uses a basic version of today, and she credits it as one of the most useful things she learned, although it's taken the influence of Beck to really get it cranking. She had an aptitude for working with computers, and the project management side of IT felt fairly natural to her, even though at that time it was super male-dominated, and her teachers were not overly supportive, she said. When she studied it at uni, she was actually the only woman in her class, In talking with a recent graduate, she was a bit dismayed to hear that the numbers of women studying IT are still low. She said, it's not easy being a female in IT, but it's worth it and would encourage other young women to get amongst it. Rachel started full-time work at a software development company at the age of about 25, moving to a team manager's position at about the age of 27, earning 60 to 70 grand a year. And in about 2014, And fresh out of a breakup, Rach had a list of things she wanted to achieve, one of which was to learn guitar, which I'll come back to shortly, the other was to buy a house. She was 28, flatting, and the house was going on the market, and they were getting kicked out. A far too common story in New Zealand. She was done with moving around, and she wanted some stability, and it was her mum who said, why don't you look to buy a house? She entertained the idea, going to look at a few, and then 
talking to a mortgage broker who told her what her lending options were. At the same time, and I think in a way showing that home ownership was not on her horizon prior to this conversation, she had booked a holiday to Hawaii to celebrate a friend's birthday, which as it turned out coincided with her new home purchase. But there was an issue with the bank in regards to her house deposit. Although by this point she had paid off her student loan in full, she had debt in the form of a car loan, which just happens to be the thing that she considers her greatest financial flop, by the way. A workmate introduced her to the idea of not paying cash for a car, but borrowing the money instead. She thought she was being smart, but it meant she bought a car far bigger than what she needed and far more than she actually originally wanted to pay. The bank offered her $20,000, but she only borrowed $13,000 and congratulated herself on what she thought was a pretty smart move. Plus, she set about paying above the minimum payment required, another great move, she thought. She said her mindset would have been so different if she had saved up and paid cash for it. But this consumer debt reflected badly on her at the bank, and they were prepared to lend her less as a result. She didn't really save up at all for this deposit, but her parents had always said that they would put some money towards the wedding or first home of her and her siblings. So using that money, she paid off the remainder of her car loan, which was by then about $8,000. She bled her KiwiSaver, which she had signed up for when it first began in 2007, dry, and also received the first home grant of $5,000 that the government offered. But she was still just shy of the 20% deposit the bank needed, so the mortgage broker, who happened to know her parents, suggested her parents could go guarantor for the tiny difference. Now this was all brand new to Rach. She didn't really know what it all meant. She actually thought her parents were going to own her house. But she accepted anyway and bought her first home. After just one year, the equity had gone up enough in her house that she could pay her parents back and remove them as guarantors. And it also felt like she now truly had her own home. Sinking every dollar she could scrape together into it, she paid $285,000 for a tiny two-bedroom townhouse with no section to speak of in Papatoetoe. She knew the house was in need of a bit of work, but it was only once she got in there that she realised just how much. It turned out that the bathroom had been leaking and there was extensive cosmetic and structural damage to that area of the house. She was beside herself, she said, and recalls sitting on the floor crying and thinking, what the flip have I done? When we spoke, she considered herself to be terrible with money up until this point, but I think that only hindsight has shown her this. This whole scenario was sounding pretty darn normal to me and many others, I suspect. She was in a pickle. The bathroom was a rotten wreck. She could not get a flatmate in to help her pay the mortgage without a bathroom. She had no money, having just spent it all on a house and holiday, and the plane was leaving shortly. Her parents were great at helping her get through this time, she said, and they called on her family connections in the home reno industry, and it was all hands on deck, with Rach getting quotes, buying cheap fittings, and rushing around prior to leaving. Her parents stepped in and did the demo, they stopped the leak, they pulled up and replaced the rotten floor, organised the tiler, and they got the whole thing fixed while she was away. The next question on my mind was, how on earth did she pay for it? Because her sinking every dollar into a house purchase and leaving absolutely nothing spare for an emergency is a common problem. Because she didn't know what an emergency fund even was, there was never any thought as to how she could have avoided this, so she paid for it all on her credit card. Her mortgage was already maxed out, so there was no extending that. Looking back on it, she now realises she was so, so close to getting into a cycle of debt, 
but putting that $7,000 expense on her credit card thankfully scared her. The saving grace was that the bills from various tradespeople fell within different months on her credit card, meaning that by working full-time, she could juggle the payments and just keep her head above water. With a functioning bathroom, she could now also get a flatmate, and the rent they paid went to her credit card bill, and she could, she said, start to breathe again. Meanwhile, in another part of Auckland, when Beck had returned from the Beijing Olympics, she got what she called her first real job, working different health-related roles and earning about $60,000 a year. And she saved money, a lot. She pretty much saved 80 to 90% of her income, she said, saving $40,000 up in just one year alone, with the express purpose to buy a home with her partner at that time. Two years after beginning her job, she purchased the cheapest house they could find, which was a three-bedroom home for $345,000 in late 2011. Beck paid the 20% deposit, which was about $70,000, and they signed up for the mortgage together. She had not signed up for KiwiSaver because she wanted to instead put all of her money into a house deposit, and her thinking at the time was that she only had so much money coming in and that she would wait for another time when things were more permanent and she could afford to do KiwiSaver as well, which she did. In comparison with Rachel, who she was yet to meet, she didn't extend herself financially and they moved into the whare knowing that it needed work but having already set money aside to do it. Because her relationship was new, they created a property sharing agreement to protect them both financially should they split, which they actually did end up doing in 2015. It was only after splitting that she realised the agreement was poorly created, having not sought enough independent legal advice at the time of drafting. So lesson learned. But after a bit of a rough negotiation period, the house was sold, the mortgage was repaid, the lawyer was also paid, and Beck came out with about $200,000 in cash after four years of home ownership. Soon after, she too took up guitar lessons, and who should she meet at the very same class but Rach? This was to be their second meeting though, because their paths actually first crossed when they were pretty young, at about the age of 15, as Rach played football too, and they both were in the same team when they played at a tournament in Vanuatu. After a time, they became a couple, and no, neither of them can play the guitar today. Although it sounds like they both failed to learn guitar, they did learn a lot about each other, and they've been together ever since. Rach's flatmate moved out, and Beck moved in, but she knew she wanted to get back into the property market ASAP, because by this time in 2016, the Auckland property market was seriously on the move upwards. She looked around to buy an investment property, but that would require her to come up with a 40% deposit, which she didn't quite have enough money to do, so they flipped it around. Beck bought a $600,000 house with a 30% deposit of about $180,000, and they both moved into it and Rachel rented her home out. They also visited their lawyers and got a relationship property agreement that was a lot more comprehensive than Beck's previous one and would protect each of them if they were to split up. Initially, they kept their finances completely separate and went 50-50 on all bills, but Beck slowly started to influence Rach and showed her some of the things that she had learned about how to manage money well and encouraged her to get her debts paid off. These included credit cards and some money she owed her parents for some home repairs which Rach had barely been paying on because, with a 0% interest rate, she said there was zero motivation to pay her parents back. But Beck said to her, how could you do that? How could you be content when you know you borrowed the money from them? She slowly influenced her to save up in advance for household bills like rates, so you always had enough money when it was due for payment, 
and to pay her parents back so that she could feel free. She introduced her to the idea of being more frugal so that you could become 100% debt-free. Together they got smart and Beck said that Rach took the baton and began to run with it and they now work completely as a team so we're both heading for the same goals. Rach credits Beck for most of her learning about money. Beck had read something called the Trinity Study, a 1998 paper written at a Texas university about how much money you need to have invested in shares so that you can have what they refer to as a safe withdrawal rate, which is pretty commonly known as the 4% rule. If you apply this rule, they calculated that the share portfolio would last 30 years plus, and during each of those years, you could pull an income from it. She also came across Mr. Money Mustache in 2016, and I'll just jump in here with a great resource for you to look up, and that is his blog post called The 4% Rule, The Easy Answer to How Much Do I Need for Retirement. It's a fantastic and informative post, and one that is guaranteed to make you think And this led to them starting to have more conversations about money and the rejection of what Beck sees as the norm to work your whole life while you constantly pay off debt and then retire at 65. Beck simply rejected that assumption and it just made sense not to follow what most others were doing. Because of the messy separation Beck's went through and the part that money played, it means they have communicated about money from the get-go probably more than they would have, they said. But as a result, and because both of them laid all their financial cards on the table early, they've never argued about money. And as they came across each new resource, they just added it into the conversation. When we spoke in August 2021, they had just made the move to combine all their money. It was the next logical step because they now feel they are a united team heading in the same direction. And while your money is separated, that is never quite the case. Still Auckland-based, Bex came to the conclusion that they would never get ahead if they stayed there, and it was not just about the incomes, which had kind of hit a ceiling, it was more that she grew up in a smaller town where you could free-range with your mates and come home for food when the sun went down. She wanted that for herself and also for any future children that they might have, so that was the motivation to leave first and foremost. Plus they felt that being mortgage-free goes hand-in-hand with being more sustainable, because you stop consuming so much stuff to fill a void in your life and everything becomes just that bit more intentional. And because you are intentional with your money, which you are directing to debt and then investments, you live a more sustainable life and start to reduce what you consume, reuse what you already have, and just look for better solutions all over. They also wanted their time back again and the flexibility to work how they wanted, because although they had family spread across Auckland, the reality was that they all just drove long commutes, worked long days, and then didn't have the opportunity to have real quality catch-ups with their friends and whanau in the evenings and the weekends anyway. About a year after moving into Beck's house, they sold Rachel's townhouse. Once it was sold, Rachel was unsure quite what to do with the money, so she approached her bank who sent someone round to talk to her about managed funds. Plus she sought out a financial advisor, but she said it felt a bit like talking to her granddad. Neither solution was what she was looking for, so the money sat in her bank account biding its time. Far from being a wasted opportunity, having the money just sitting there actually gave them breathing space and it helped them decide on their next move. They started scouting the regions close enough to Auckland to stay in touch with Fano, and ones that were not too cold and that had work opportunities. Rach ruled out going anywhere that had snow. They decided that Rach would secure a job in software development first and Beck would chase one next and before long they settled on Hawke's Bay. 
Rach was worried about going backwards in her career, but to her surprise, there are quite a few tech companies where they now live, and they are all struggling to hire good people because they are going through massive growth at the moment. She said there are fewer people going after good roles, and in her current role, she is at the highest pay rate she has ever been on. Now, every time a job comes up, Rach sends it to her old network, telling them to take the leap and come to the regions because the growth in tech has been huge since she has been there. She is, however, now back to an hour commute to Napier, but she is excited about it now, not stuck in traffic and is listening to podcasts and feeling really excited about a working day ahead of her. It's a completely different experience, she said. Plus, they have chosen to live where they do because of the house and the community, not because of the cost of housing. Once the job was secured, they moved, but accommodation was hard to get due to being dog owners, so they towed their tiny caravan to a holiday park and moved into that as a temporary measure. Rach started work, and Beck kept the home fires burning, while also scouting out a house to buy and looking for work herself. That chunk of cash that Rach had in the bank became their house deposit. They rented out Beck's Auckland house, deciding to keep it rather than sell it, so that if things didn't pan out in Hawke's Bay, they had a whare to return to in Auckland. Neither of them wanted to be landlords, but it was the best solution for them really. Because the Auckland house was rented out and the mortgage was covered, one person working was more than enough to sustain them, plus they had savings building up and had started investing into low-cost index funds. This just gave them a cash buffer and it took all the financial stress away from their decision-making, which is such a gift to give themselves, I think. After the lesson on managed funds from their bank and the chat with the financial advisor, they set about educating themselves and thought, why not just find investments ourselves instead of using brokers and advisors and paying their higher fees and brokerage costs? They settled on a provider and now have a monthly automated investment into a super life growth fund with a balance of about $55,000 into which they are investing a couple of grand each month in a more or less set and forget investment strategy. There were a few unanticipated benefits of moving out of Auckland and one was that as soon as they moved down, they needed to update insurance details and they instantly got a refund as the insurance premiums for their cars dropped by 30% because they'd left Auckland. That was their first introduction to the often lower cost of living in the regions. It's not all roses though, their rates are $3,300 a year which is two times higher than Auckland they said. The key benefit is that they actually get to spend more quality time with family and friends now because they come to visit and they stay a few days. When up in Auckland, they may have lived closer, but the time you spent together was often not quality time. Now their weekends are their own or they are shared with others and there is heaps to see and do and it's a really enjoyable life. They purchased an older home in the central Hawke's Bay on a big 1800 square metre section, giving Bex the space she needed to put in a big garden, plant trees and get some chickens in too. They paid $445,000 in 2019 and took on a mortgage of about $360,000, meaning that once again they had two mortgages to pay, one from their own salaries and the other from rental income on their Auckland house. And sure enough, Beck found work after about six months of being there. She took a pay cut because she went down in the role she was in, but with the money pressure off, this was okay. More recently, her dream job came up, working part-time for the New Zealand police as a physical education officer, and Rach has recently started into an exciting new job herself, and now they have a combined income of somewhere between $140,000 and $150,000 a year, which is well up on the Auckland-based full-time combined incomes of just $110,000 a year. 
So that puts the argument of no work opportunities or poorly paid work in the regions to rest once and for all. And because Beck is working part-time, she has plenty of time to do other things. The Auckland property was a bungalow and there was just one thing after another with it. It needed a new roof because it was leaking. The neighbours wanted a new fence. They had problems with tenants, etc. It just went on and on. They never wanted to be landlords and they didn't want to make money out of other people's poverty and keep driving up rents like their property manager was suggesting they did. The only reason they kept it was that they wanted a backstop if Hawke's Bay didn't work out and it was never a long-term plan to retain it, despite advice to the contrary from family members who were pretty vocal about the value of property going up as a reason to keep it. Why? Because they remembered the 1987 share market crash and as a result, they and many others were really into property as the only way to grow wealth, even though for these two, it was turning into a right pain in the ass. They gave notice to their tenants and were delighted when in late 2020, a first homeowner wanted to buy it, but the deal fell through when they could not get the lending in place. Given the hot housing market and the commissions the real estate agent would take for what felt like very little work, they decided to then sell it themselves. Having never done a private sale before, they found a great lawyer in Hawke's Bay who guided them through the process and made them confident that they could do it themselves and be legally sorted. They worked really hard on the house and garden to get it presentable because it had really gone downhill in the three years it had been rented. And it's fair to say they were pretty pissed off with their property manager as they were unaware of how bad a shape it was now in. They found it quite heartbreaking to see. But they listed it on a website which is designed to help those selling their home privately called listed.co.nz, which in turn listed it on Facebook and Instagram. It's free to list on this site and you can then upgrade to list it on TradeMe for half the price than if you went straight to TradeMe. So it costs them $350 instead of $700. So that's a hack for others and a bit of a win. They said it was a full service site where people could book a viewing and then they could list open homes, etc. Over one weekend, they had 11 groups through, had a couple of private viewings and had three offers by the Monday morning. Once it was all said and done, they sold it for $830,000 to first home buyers, which they were delighted about, having paid $600,000 for it three years ago. They didn't negotiate the offer, they didn't want to wring every last cent out of good people, and it felt great to sell it to them. We didn't go into the mortgage interest they paid during that time, nor the cost of the repairs that they paid for, but they did say they ended up getting $70,000 more than the real estate agent said they would, so they were pretty pleased with that. As an aside, they said they did have a real estate agent trying to buy the house from them, but with a very long settlement period. Why? So he could tee up the next buyer and have it sold again moments after he owned it. Sounds illegal to me, or just immoral, I'm not quite sure. With the cash in the bank, they immediately paid off the mortgage on the Auckland property, and also on their Hawke's Bay home. After all that was done, it left them with about $170,000 in cash, which is the point that Beck emailed me saying, we will become mortgage-free at the ripe old age of 35. We started our journey about five years ago when my partner stumbled across Mr Money Mustache. She has always had a dislike of debt, and after that it just snowballed. We moved to the regions, away from our family and friends, and it is finally about to pay off. It sure was. So when I asked them what their biggest financial triumph was, becoming mortgage-free was it. It's a massive achievement and the freedom they now feel is amazing, they said. And I think that's the point worth dwelling on for a moment because 
I don't think that people quite appreciate the freedom of not having to hand over half of your paycheck to a bank each month so you can buy back your home brick by brick and many let a mortgage linger on far longer than it needs to. Personally speaking, not having to make that payment and not having to ask my bank for permission to do anything is the most liberating thing I've ever done. It just gives you freedom of choice back in regards to where you live and how you choose to spend your time and money. So what is this situation now? Their mortgage-free home is older and it needs some work, so they have put $100,000 in a term deposit while they find a builder and work through the council consent process for some renovations, and they are hell-bent on cash flowing the whole process. The remaining $70,000 was split between creating a $25,000 emergency fund that sits also as cash in the bank and the rest is in savings. They also took the opportunity to update some things that they had been deferring like phones and laptops. One other plan they have been mulling over is their car situation. With Rachel's commute, they pay a lot in petrol each week. So for many years, they've been researching car options. I think they could give my husband Johnny a bit of a run for his money with car research here. Although Beck never in her life thought they would buy a new car, it's a very unmustachian thing to do after all, that is what they have decided to do with their choice being a Model 3 Tesla costing around $62,000 after the government rebate that was recently announced. They will, of course, pay cash using the savings that they've set aside. It's a big expense and a bold move, but here's the thing. They are consumer debt-free and they own their own home and they have a combined income of around $140,000 plus. They have a fully stocked emergency fund, they are paying cash for renovations and they will pay cash for the car. They budget extremely well and are investing into both KiwiSaver and SuperLife investments every single month. All of this combined adds up to about $340,000. They now have a net worth of over a million and it's not all tied up in a house. Plus, they are only 35 years old. If they were 65, they would not yet have enough socked away. But time is very much on their side. So I think if there was a right time, it's probably now. They will keep their 13-year-old car as a second vehicle for Beck's short commute. And when they want to tow their caravan, they'll hire a vehicle with a tow bar to pull it. Their main financial habit was actually that they do research a lot, particularly Beck's, who will research everything before buying to weigh up the pros and cons because she would prefer to buy just once and is conscious of how much they consume. So this car purchase is no sudden move. They have been thinking about it for a very long time. Also, the less they spend money on, the more they can invest too. They have decided categorically that they will never be beholden to the bank again, and since becoming debt-free, they've left Westpac and moved to TSB, a bank they said that being Kiwi-owned aligns with their values more. Plus, by starting afresh, it was easier to combine their finances. They will still keep one account each where they put some money each week and neither gets to see what they spend it on. They said it's taken some adjustment to show each other their spending. Neither are big spenders, but this is just a new layer of openness. Both have cut out things that were not bringing them enjoyment, which they said in turn makes them appreciate what they do have, and they make conscious decisions about their spending. They enjoy growing their own food. They buy in bulk, go plastic-free when they can, and they still eat out if they feel like it. Now that they no longer have two houses and two sets of bills, they're still figuring it out, but they are tracking their expenses and just enjoying the process of learning. Their advice to you, or their elevator pitch if you like, is to just be conscious in your decision making. If your morning coffee brings you joy, keep it. If not, 
make one at home and don't make the process of reducing consumption and spending too onerous or you will give up. Don't allow money to decide your future. Instead, use it as a tool to create the future that you want. Their savings rate is still high, saving 60 to 70% of their income. And each month they sit down and look at how they're spending their money, where they're investing it, etc. Now that they have been tracking this for some time, they have some useful information to look back on that shows them that they are moving in the right direction. Both of their KiwiSaver in a growth fund with simplicity, and they had a lesson in time in the market, when although Beck started her investment later, remember she wanted to get her house buying sorted first, but she has continued to invest ever since, and even on a part-time salary. So with smaller inputs, she has a balance of $62,000. Rach, on the other hand, even though she earns more and has more deductions from her wages, she wiped hers out to buy a house, and she is still lagging behind Beck with $57,000, and she's still not catching up. Starting early, contributing always, and not deleting it to buy something is the key if you want to get to 65 and have a nice retirement balance with minimal effort. With all of their immediate monetary goals taken care of, and having saved up for the things they have coming up, their plan is to keep their saving rate up and invest hard out for the next five years, while still enjoying life and maybe even starting a family. It's a balance and both have found their groove with Beck loving her part-time job and having more time to do things around the house. Rach is loving her job with no sign of reducing hours and neither are missing Auckland at all. Their time is their own now. Considering that people thought they had lost their minds by moving to Hawke's Bay and would struggle to get work, they are doing quite well, thanks very much. And when I asked them what they would do if a fat stack of bills totaling $10,000 came their way, they both said they had enough money in the bank so they would invest the lot, which is the answer of a couple who have their finances under complete control. When extra money comes up, they know exactly where it fits within their financial plan. They have an amount in mind of a million dollars that they want invested in ETFs and index funds, and they will then apply the 4% rule, which will give them $40,000 of income each year. Although their current yearly expenses are just $35,000, they know that their bare bones expenses are just $25,000, so an income of $40,000 is more than ample, especially considering they are both still planning to work. Given that really low annual spend, I had to ask what they spend on groceries each week, and it's just $170. They keep their costs down, they see, by buying in bulk from online store Refill Nation, plus growing their own at home, of course. Being just 35, their perception of talking about money is, thankfully, much more open, and having found some good ideas, they want to share them with as many people as possible. Rach said she is often talking with young developers at work about good money management, and I think that's the key for all of us to learn about money. Just share the resources you've found helpful so that others might do the same because it's so rewarding seeing people start on a good financial footing that they can then build upon, like these two are doing. To you and I, they both recommend reading the books you hear recommended and following up on other resources you hear mentioned most regularly in whatever way you like to absorb knowledge. The book The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins was a really useful read for understanding that you don't have to pick stocks just buy all the stocks in the form of an index fund. And a tip from me is that if you prefer to listen and not read, then episode number 19 of the podcast Choose FI is a really comprehensive interview with JL about his book. The Barefoot Investor by Australian Scott Pape was Rachel's first foray into personal finance, and she found it amazingly helpful. 
so good in fact that they have given or shared this book with anyone who showed an interest and it has changed the mindset of many. They also said that Instagram has lots of people documenting their fire journey or financial independence retire early with money so it's worth following a few of them too. They said too that this very podcast taught them that there is no one way to financial independence, there is no perfect journey and what that does is it helps to take the fear away and show that if you make a mistake, that's okay, just keep on moving forward and just don't make the same mistake twice. Righto, I'm nearing the end but before I wrap up I have another quick message from today's sponsor Pocketsmith who I suspect will be delighted to have heard just how well these two are able to budget. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Now what I like about this couple is their commitment to learning and the self-education they are doing around investing, which means they have over time created a structure to build upon. So interested is Rach in this that she is actually studying to become a financial advisor herself, with the main agenda being seeing what she can glean from the information she is learning and maybe one day being able to educate others because she can see from just observing the world around her there is a huge lack of knowledge when it comes to money and unless you are a self-starter, this information is just not obvious to many. Her depth of knowledge has not happened overnight, like her email to me said, It's been at least five years in the making, and she can definitely see why people refer to it as a journey. Five years of making conscious decisions around how they structure both their time and their money. When I meet people with a number of houses in New Zealand, all of which carry a mortgage, out of curiosity, I often ask what their game plan is and how they see this playing out, and is there an end goal? Most don't have one. They heard the bit about just buy a house, and they just continue to pay the rent to the mortgage whilst the property hopefully goes up in value. But in reality, they never get to enjoy that money, but instead they get hung up on bricks and mortar being the only asset worth owning. Even if they actually never get to own it or use the money it generates in rent, house rich and cash poor is the best description of the situation. Rach and Bex, however, have through trial and error and life just happening to them, they now have more of an idea of how you can dip in and out of property and use it as a way to grow wealth and when it's served its purpose, move on. They have actually used property to leapfrog them ahead in life. Yes, they made money out of it and had they held that Auckland house, they may have made even more. But that is not what they were trying to achieve. It was a work-life balance and contentment and the freedom to make a decision that they don't need the approval of their bank to make, which they have. And now that they have a structure in place of an emergency fund, a home they own, KiwiSaver for each of them, diversified share investments starting to build, and jobs they both really love, I could see from speaking with them just how happy they are. So they just need to keep building upon the foundations they've laid and keep enjoying the freedom of choice being in control at the age of just 35 gives them. Soon it might be a Tesla they buy, later it might be extending their family or early retirement, but the point is it's their choice to make. And finally, just a huge thanks for taking the time out of your Saturday morning to chat with me, Beck and Rach. And keep the update emails coming, Rach, as I always get a huge sense of joy and excitement when I hear just how well you are both doing. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another money journey of another Kiwi. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app. 
each time I release a new episode. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com. And I would love it if you could leave a review and also share it with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast. And I would love it most if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. Happy saving.